Hello, and welcome again to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Donald Mazzella, and I am Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. We come to you through four media channels, here at Blog Talk Radio, through our online newsletters, via our magazine, and now video channel. They are now all available to you at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Each month, we touch more than one million small business leaders through our various channels. Each hour here at Small Business Digest Radio, we hope to bring you information, strategies, and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are carefully chosen for their expertise or experience. They do not pay to be on this program, but rather our editors and readers identify them. We also identify the topics of possible interest for our audiences. If you have any suggestions or particular topics you want us to cover, please email us at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. Tonight's program, like all our efforts, have a wide diversity of guests talking about the topics you want to hear. Our show today is all about running a small business, and we have three successful women to talk about what they did right, what they would not do again, and some tips on successful marketing. Our first guest is Karen Griffin has a successful, and I might add, a very interesting skincare company that she founded and has grown through hard work and a little help from government agencies, her bankers, and others. Karen, welcome to the program. Thank you, Don. It's a pleasure to be on. Well, it's a real pleasure to have you. I know um, my wife has tested your products, and she, she thinks they're terrific. Um, oh, well, thank you for that. For- well, uh, people have learned I don't uh, uh, gild the lily too much, but in this case, <laughs> it really does work. Before we get into your product, uh, first, uh, we always ask our guests, tell us a little bit about our, about yourself and how you came to, to found this company. Sure. Yeah, thanks for that. I appreciate it. Well, I, uh, I'm a Texan. I graduated from the University of Texas at Austin and then went on to spend a little over 20 years, about 22 years, with uh, healthcare giants like Pfizer Pharmacia, uh, Baxter Healthcare, Bristol Myers Squibb. And actually, during the years that I worked for Bristol Myers Squibb, they own or owned a wonderful American heritage company called Convitec. So my time there actually was spent on skin, wound, and burn care. And throughout the years I spent there, I did a lot of reading and a lot of research, and it often occurred to me that all the technology and the innovation around skin and wound care that existed and was used every day in healthcare really was not being applied or leveraged and therefore wasn't available to the consumers in the cosmeceutical market. So it it became kind of a gnawing feeling that that needed to change. I felt that consumers in America needed and deserved a better representation from the healthcare world 
in terms of what they were buying as consumers. So it, it just occurred to me throughout those years that I needed to find a way to, to bridge that gap. So I started looking around. I looked for research and innovative ingredients and interesting ways to bring some of that technology forward and read thousands of clinical papers over the course of the many years that I worked for them and as a result found some technology and research that I decided to purchase for myself. So I did that and then I hired an American chemist, um, actually a gentleman that lives here in the Nashville, Tennessee area and is on staff at a couple of different cosmetic manufacturers. To, and his training is a cosmetic chemist, so that's his specialty. And he helped me formulate and perfect those formulations so that we could enter a manufacturing phase about a year and a half ago. So our first product, our new protein peel, is American-made. And it is unique, and as you said, it's, um, it's a very innovative approach to the peel. In the past, women have been satisfied that a peel is simply going to create stinging, burning, itching. It's going to create redness and irritation, and by definition, downtime. And I Let just didn't feel like that you. was... Sure. Let me interrupt you. Uh, you're using terms, a peel. Will you explain what a peel is for us, a male in the audience? <laughs> sure, absolutely. Appeal is simply a method of exfoliation. And in the United States at present, there are many different ways to exfoliate your dead cells off the surface of your skin. You can choose a mechanical method like a loofah or a sugar scrub. When you put sugar scrubs on your skin, you can feel a little bit of grit. And so that is a mechanical method of essentially sanding off your dead skin. Microdermabrasion would be a deeper, more professional version of that mechanical removal. There's also, you can also burn the uh, dead skin off with acids, glycolic, lactic, a, a variety, a buffet of acids, or you can actually go in and have it burned off with a laser in a physician office. Those well, are really um, the only... Uh, uh, let me keep interrupting you. Sure, Only, no problem. Uh, 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 because, uh, is, is, why is it a good health thing to burn off your skin? <laughs> good question, good question. Well, exfoliating your dead skin does two things. It reveals the newest, freshest, most vibrant and luminous skin that you can possibly show the world. It's sort of like dusting your furniture. Why would you dust your furniture? So that you can see the beautiful glowing wood underneath. So that's reason number one. Reason number two is that, and this is not true of furniture, biologically and organically, the only thing that allows your body to build collagen is to remove the dead cells that are preventing it. So when you exfoliate, you can actually promote and prompt your biological system, your physiology, to create more collagen. Why would you want to do that? Well, collagen is that kind of plump, sticky stuff in the interstitial spaces of your skin that cause your skin to look firm and plump. And as you get older, and especially for women when our estrogen levels drop after sort of 40, 45, the collagen production goes way down. And that's why the skin tends to look drier and you develop fine lines and wrinkles. The only uh, sort of non-natural alternative is what's called derma fillers. You can actually go to the doctor and have them put a, uh, literally put a needle in your face and inject a form of artificial collagen into your face to replace what it should be making on its own. So there's no way to get our collagen production back to, say, the levels it was at when we were 10 years old. I mean, that's why children have beautiful you know, skin with no wrinkles and so forth. So we can't turn back the clock, but we can optimize the process. And the only way to do that is to exfoliate regularly, 
to promote that collagen production. And as a result, the net net of that is that you can actually reduce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles pretty successfully by doing that. So, in effect, your company makes uh, primarily women more beautiful. Well, yes, and men, too, if they're willing to play ball. Um, We do have quite a lot of male clients. And actually, because I haven't talked too much about our technology, but our technology neither sands or burns your skin off. It actually is a chemically engineered product that's designed exclusively to bind with large molecule protein. And so it's very safe. It doesn't cause any stinging, burning, or itching. There's never any redness or irritation as a result. And so I have a lot of men who really enjoy using the product on their hands. Men tend to get very dry hands, chapped hands, and our product will take off that dry, chapped feeling just instantaneously. And there's a tiny dollop of moisturizer in the peel as well. So you, the finished effect on a face, on a neck, on hands, wherever you use it, is a buttery, soft, very luminous complexion. Okay, so we now know you have a, a great product that... Um, uh, uh, helps people, and uh, w- we all know that uh, uh, women, women especially, go for it. But and from what you just said, you you spent a lot of time developing and researching your product before you really went ahead and and marketed it. Am I right? Yes, that's right. Correct. Okay. So now, for our audience, who are other small businesses, uh, figuring out what were the before. Uh, before before launching your business, what were the two or three key things you decided needed to be done in order to be successful? Great question. I would say, and, and this may not be precisely what you asked, but the one thing that I held on to throughout the pre-manufacturing process and the launch process was that we had not fully vetted and tested the product until we began selling it and getting into the hands of consumers. As a result of that realization or that understanding, I should say, we made a decision as a team not to launch more than one product at a time. And that way we would be able to collect a lot of consumer feedback and make changes. And we've made actually some radical changes to our branding, to our packaging as a result of that decision. That was the single best decision I made when I started my business. Manufacturing an SKU is incredibly expensive. What's an SKU? Um, an individual unit for sale, any okay. individual item. So we only have at the moment in our company one SKU. We have one item for sale. And like I said, it was untested when it entered the market. We are the first American-made protein peels. So we thought, let's make a few thousand units, not a 100,000, not a million, and see if we can get anybody to buy it. So it was a conservative approach. We manufactured a, you know, a few thousand units and then tried to go about developing marketing and messaging and so forth to get it out there and channels to distribute it. But most importantly, all that is just noise unless you can really hone in on what the consumer wants, what they like. And even though it's painful, you have to really listen to what they tell you about the product. We learned some extraordinary things. We have hundreds of loyal clients who order our product every quarter off of the web. <clears throat> we have an auto reorder process, and we have about 700 clients who order the product regularly, quarterly. And those folks, I'd say at least a good 20% of those folks, have been just religiously committed to giving us positive and negative feedback. 
and it's been very helpful. We've made a lot of changes, and as a result, in January, we're going to be introducing a new product. We've changed some of the packaging. We've actually changed the size of the container. All of that feedback came from the consumer. And so we saved hundreds of thousands of dollars not making a mistake on a bigger scale. If we'd made any mistakes with the brand, and we did, it's inevitable. You're going to make mistakes. So what you try to do ahead of them is make them smaller rather than larger. So instead of spending a million dollars and putting you know, four products in the market and then finding out that our packaging maybe wasn't optimal or that the packages weren't big enough, we decided to enter the market conservatively, get feedback, and make the changes that would make the brand really successful long term. So I would encourage anyone you know, who's thinking about transitioning from a full-time assignment or from unemployment, whatever their status is, to being an entrepreneur, think small. Think about what you can do to, you know, produce, if you're going to produce a consumer product or any product, or if you're going to create a service profile and an offering, a buffet of offerings from you or from a group of people, I think small is better. Introduce something that's different, that's unique, that has a value proposition for consumers or whoever your audience is. Start small. Get some wins. You know, it's sort of like a baseball metaphor. You don't have to necessarily hit a home run every time you get up to the plate. If you just get people on base, you will end up winning games because that's what it takes. So I thought, you know, if we can get a single, if we can get a double, just a few successes, and that will accumulate. There is a cumulative effect that takes place, and you have to just start. You have to start somewhere. And I think people get overwhelmed because they think that in order to launch a brand or a company, you have to have everything in place. You have to look like L'Oreal would be the metaphor for my brand. Um, but you don't. You can start very small. You can sell locally. The, the um, group of stores that helped us launch our brand is a wonderful group of stores in the Nashville area who understood, really responded well to our story. I'm a single mother of three kids. I live locally. My children go to public schools here in the Nashville area. The business owner of these wonderful boutiques that are locally owned really liked our story and liked the brand and decided to take a risk on us and put us on our shelves. And that was fantastic. Partnering with people in your own local community, that was another real lesson. And they've been an incredibly strong supporter. They've given us a venue where we can have events. So finding partners in your own community who can support you and <clears throat> excuse me, and get behind you, I think that was also really critical for us. Well, you've launched a product, um, and uh, I, I, I understand you uh, – uh, went out and got a very unusual type of loan. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. I, uh, most of my process up until about seven or eight months ago was all self-funded. I was lucky. I had a successful career in healthcare for more than 20 years, and I had some substantial savings <clears throat> that I was able to use to start the business. But a few months ago, it became apparent to me that to really expand, to get ready for global distribution, to get the product and the packaging ready, I had so many inquiries from foreign countries that I approached the U.S. Department of Commerce and tried to learn a little bit more about their loan options. And one of the most attractive was a very interesting product that the U.S. Department of Commerce and, as a result, the Small Business Administration is out there pushing, and it's an export loan. So when you, you know, the U.S. government is highly motivated to get American products exported as opposed to continually importing. There is a trade imbalance. 
I never thought that the trade imbalance in the United States would be, would be of benefit to me, but in, in, in fact it was very beneficial because as a result of that trade imbalance, the U.S. government has a lot of policies and a lot of programs in place for small business to encourage that to change. They are trying to flip that teeter-totter into a more balanced position over the course of, <clears throat> excuse me, over the course of years. So I actually benefited from that um, tremendously. I began my process in April or May, and just three or four months later, in the middle of August, we closed on a very large export loan from the Small Business Administration. And I can tell you, I sat in a meeting with Small Business Administration personnel. I live in Nashville, and the headquarters for this area is Atlanta. So the leadership at the Small Business Administration drove to Nashville. They do this about quarterly, and they're willing to listen to your story. So my story was developed enough, and I was at the right point in our company evolution for them to take interest in what we were doing. They liked the product. They liked the pitch. They liked me. They liked our company and our personnel. They were excited about the possibilities, and I actually was lucky enough at that moment to have two or three foreign countries where distributors had expressed an interest in our product. So I had a very legitimate need for the export loan. So we began working through that process, and I can tell you it was a very exciting day. I presented my brand to the Small Business Administration, and before the meeting was over, the, the leadership, the most senior people in that meeting were standing up personally on their cell phones calling presidents of banks all over Nashville. It completely changed my life and it changed my business. The next month, all I did was meet with presidents of banks. I pitched my story and my wares and eventually picked out a bank, Sinovus Bank, which is the bank of Nashville here in Nashville, but Sinovus is based out of Florida, who was willing to back this. And I actually had banks competing for the brand and the opportunity to issue this loan. For the banks, there's very little risk around an export loan because the U.S. government guarantees that loan up to 90% of its value. So let's say that you borrow a million dollars, which I did not, but let's say you borrow a million, the bank itself is really only loaning you $100,000. The U.S. government, in fact, is loaning you the other 90%, the other 900000 so the risk is pretty low, not to say that you know, I didn't sign my life away, I did. I you know, leveraged my house and all my assets and my life insurance policy and all that stuff. So, and there's a personal guarantee, so if I don't repay this loan, of course, it will be bad for all concerned. Um, but the point is, it was available. There are resources available, and if you have a story that's appropriate and a product that has real potential, this can be done. At a point when people think that Small Business Administration isn't making loans at all, that's completely untrue. They are highly motivated. The people at the SBA called me three times a month from the time that we met until the time that we closed to make sure that I had everything I needed, that I was being fully supported by both the U.S. government and also the banks who were involved in sort of the bidding process. That bidding process, that competitive environment, got our interest rate down to a, just an unbelievably low level, actually. Um, there was a point at which I met with two or three bank presidents in one place at one time to discuss it. It reminded me of that commercial for home loans that you see on television. They literally were competing for our business, and that's very, very exciting. And so we've now got the money. As I said, we learned quite a lot over the last year, but we now have the money and the capital to rebuild our brand, to go forward with manufacturing, to launch new products, to export this brand to other countries, uh, to do all the regulatory changes that we need, to file all the trademarks we need in Europe and in Asia. 
there are so many moving parts to a consumer brand, and this takes the pressure off of us and allows us to really fund the business at an appropriate level. So that I, one of my best friends actually said it beautifully. The loan allowed us to transition from making every single decision as a money decision, can we afford it or can't we afford it, to making really quality, constructed, methodical business decisions for the business. Um, and that's the difference for anyone as soon as you have cash. So that was exciting. And we're gonna, I think we're going to have a phenomenal 2014 as a result. Well, Karen, would you mind uh, hanging on? Our next guest is, has called in. And I, I want eventually, we have th three of you women entrepreneurs uh, on this program today, and I'd like for you to stay on. Uh, sure, Michael be my on. And then yeah. uh, I want to welcome in Diane DeAndrea. Uh, well, Hi, Don. Diane, how are, are you? you? Fine. Um, before we get to you, Diane, um, Karen, you never me uh, mentioned the name of your product or your company. Oh, well, thank you for that opportunity. My company's name is Real Chemistry, R-E-A-L, just the regular spelling of chemistry. And the product I was talking about is the three-minute precision peel. Our website is actually myrealchemistry.com. Facebook is Facebook slash Real Chemistry. Okay, well, please stay on. Your mic's going to be on. But uh, our next guest uh, is De Diane D'Andrea. De She's president and CEO of Forster Inc., Inc., and she has a very unusual product. But, Diane, before we talk about you and, and your uh, adventures in entrepreneurship, we always ask our guests to say a little bit about themselves and how they got to where they are now. Would you mind giving us a little bit of a, a background? Not at all. Well, first of all, thank you for um, hosting today, and Karen, congratulations to your success. Um, a little bit about me is um, I've actually been in advertising and media sales for almost 30 years now, and um, I was born and raised in Chicago. I've lived in California, and I've been in the Midwest in Chicago. I'm sorry, did I say I was born and raised in Chicago? I was born and raised in New York. Um, but Chicago now feels like home to me because I've been here for over 20 years. And um, what got me to become an inventor was, um, in addition to being a professional, I'm also a mother and a homemaker, and I enjoy cooking and baking and enter entertaining. And uh, my product is called the Spifter, which is a sifting spoon used for decorating. And I came up with it um, purely out of a frustration in the kitchen one day making deviled eggs. Uh, it was a holiday, and um, I had the uh, eggs all decorated beautifully on my dish. And it just needed the final touch of paprika. And when I went to shake the spice out of the container in one second, it ruined my dish. And I thought, if there was just a tool where you could just tap the spice exactly where you want it and exactly how much you want it. And so, um, being the perfectionist that I am, it set me out on a journey, and I, I looked uh, in every store, I went online, uh, I searched high and low, and couldn't find anything uh, remotely like it. There, there are powdered sugar spoons out there, but they're not the same thing. They're, they're, um, they're wider and they're flatter. 
And so it got me thinking, and um, one day I was driving, and a little voice came in my head and said, you need to make this product. So I just started talking to people, and I had no intention of becoming an inventor. I had no idea that my life would take the path that it has taken. Um, but surprisingly, in talking to people, people were very receptive and very helpful. And um, I was guided by a mentor who, who's made several kitchen products over the years and um, has several in different retail locations. And he guided me on the process and said, you know, first thing you need to do is a patent search. Uh, the next thing you need to do is, is form the business. The next thing you need to do is develop a prototype. So, you know, with each, um, with each step, I just took on that task and thought, okay, well, all right, let me do that. Uh, let me see what's next, what's next. And, and probably six months later in the process, all of those things were done. And I had the opportunity to go on the local news here on an inventor's uh, segment that uh, the news carried. And I didn't have any product manufactured. I had no idea what I was doing at all, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I told them that. And they said, well, that's okay. We take inventors from all stages. Um, just come on the show and demonstrate your product. Well, the response was overwhelming. I got hundreds of orders for products that I didn't have manufactured. Um, so I thought, well, I really have something here. So then I started the, let me, let me really focus in on who this target market is and do some research and find out um, what are people willing to pay, who, you know, who's willing to, um, who wants this product, basically. Um, and the research was very compelling. I was shocked at um, the positive response, the positive response to the name, the functionality of the product, um, the, the price name? point. The name of what it is, is the, uh, the Spifter. So put spoon and sifter together, Spifter. Well, and spell what it, it is, out for us, please. It's um, S-P-I-F as in Frank, T as in Tom, E-R. And our website is thespifter.com. Please continue, but um, I always like to get that out so people uh, know know what you're doing. Oh, that's great. Right, keep yeah. going. Yeah, and please visit our website. We've got a demonstration video on it. But basically what the product does is it's a decorating tool to use with your sugar, spices, and dried herbs. And what makes it so unique is that it's designed with three interchangeable sifting bowls that vary in mesh size. So um, you would use the, the fine mesh opening for stronger spices like paprika, nutmeg, cinnamon. You'd use the medium bowl for powdered sugars and decorative cook, uh, sugars if you're um, baking cookies or cupcakes. And then the, the large one for your dried herbs. So it's really multifunctional. Um, it's, it's stainless steel, so it'll last forever. Um, it's designed with a long handle, so it fits deep into those large spice containers, and uh, a lot of people buy spices in bags now, so it works really well for that. Um, and it's also got a um, utility-patented tapping edge, which makes it um, great because you can tap on top for a more direct sprinkle and then uh, tap on the side for a wider sprinkle. It also doubles as a ledge to rest on top of bowls. 
And now there's no more, um, you know, dirtying your fingers or possibly contaminating your food because you're using your fingers to sprinkle. And now you can control how much spice actually comes out of the containers. Unused spice goes back into the container, so you're actually saving money. And it's just, it's, it's fast, clean. It makes everything look beautiful. And you decide how much spice you want to use. It does not fall out of the sifting bowl until you actually tap it out. Um, uh, Diane, I'm going to inter- uh, uh, interrupt you one moment. Our mm-hmm. third guest, Michelle O'Hare, is uh, standing by. I'm just going to bring her in to say hello, and we'll get to her in a minute, in a few minutes. And I want, but I want to uh, talk to you about where you, uh, where um, uh, uh, some of the uh, um, some of the things that happen on your journey, and also mm-hmm. talk about uh, Sky Mall. But first. Uh, I've just made Michelle live. Are you there, Michelle? Yes, I am. Hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, we, we have Karen Griffin and Diane DeAndre on. I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave your mic open, but we're, we're gonna finish with a, a little bit with Diane, and then we'll be talking with you. But I wanted to make sure that you knew we knew you were online. Okay. Certainly. Hello, Karen. Hello, Diane. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm fine. Hi, Michelle. Good morning. Good I, I love the way it, women immediately get to bond each other. Each of the, of, the, of the second two have come on and greeted the other people. Sometimes it doesn't happen that way when when I have three men on the program. It's a very interesting uh, dynamic. But, Michelle, will you, uh, if you don't mind standing by, I want to get back with Diane. All right? No worries. No worries. Please continue. Um Okay, Diane, um, uh, you, you told us about the product. You told us how you came to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, where did you get it manufactured? It was manufactured in China. Um, it was produced about two years ago, and I just um, actually changed factories. It's very interesting to go through this whole process, and I would my advice to all new uh, entrepreneurs and inventors and anyone in business is get comfortable with mistakes because you're going to make them. And every mistake that you make is a lesson learned and um, you know more going forward. Um, not that the first factory was a mistake, but I learned a lot about the the whole process and um, cost involved, packaging, you know, things like that, um, where, you know, how to maximize your profit margin. So shifting factories um, will definitely help uh, the bottom line of our company. So it is still manufactured in China. I I tried to have it manufactured here. It was just too cost prohibitive, particularly being made of stainless steel. Oh, very definitely. But now, uh, did you have help in, in going to China, or did you do it all on your own? Well, as I said, um, I had a mentor in the beginning, and he was helpful. I used, I went through his company, so I used a third party, who produced a beautiful, beautiful finished product for me. So I was lucky. I did not go to China, but I, I'm sensing that a trip to China is in my near future for other products that we have in development. Um, uh, what if? What have you? Um, you're now on a journey. Now, um, what I found interesting is you 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 have done what a lot of entrepreneurs want to do. You got into the Sky Mall magazine, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, which is in the pocket of airlines. Mm-hmm. How did you do that? 
and can you share some of the th things that have happened with it? Well, the SkyMall is, uh, as you mentioned, it's a great vehicle because uh, 1.6 million people fly a day. So over the course of a quarter, a lot of eyeballs see that publication. And not only the end consumer, but business to business. There are distributors and wholesalers that see that as well. Um, and that is an actual ad that I bought. I purchased ad space for it. And that's one of the things that you have to weigh in business. Uh, first and foremost is sales and marketing. That has to be number one. Um, if people aren't aware of your product, how can you possibly sell your product? So there are certain um, costs and investments that you need to make to uh, create that awareness and, and build your brand. So that was through SkyMall directly, and they have an inventor's incentive program to get in initially. It's a fraction of the cost of what a regular ad would cost in that publication. And if you can afford to do it and your product is right, I highly recommend it. We are also on QVC.com. And they, have, uh, they had a, a Sprouts program that for, for entrepreneurs and uh, unique products that you enter the contest, again, to create awareness. It's a voting opportunity. And based on the number of votes you get, you get the opportunity to sell your product on QVC.com. And they just renewed they just um, issued us their fourth order, and it's the largest order we've gotten so far. So the QVC.com sales medium for us is working very well and continues to perform for us, which has been really well, how exciting. Did you, what made you decide to go to these two outlets? Uh, just in searching for uh, unique, well, first, we look for free. You know, free PR is the best. Free advertising is the best. Um, just looking for unique areas that have a mass appeal audience. You know, we'd love to do television, but television is cost prohibitive. So here's a way to reach a lot of people for a fraction of the cost. Um, so, what was the, what's the single thing, uh, if, if someone asks you, what was the single most important thing you learned bringing your product to market? What would you, what would you say it is? Um, well, find out who your audience is first. You've got to find that out. Find out if there's a demand for your product and, and, and how unique your product is. If you're going to bring something to market that's an, uh, you know, an offshoot of something else or similar to something else, be sure that, that there's a large enough market for you to be able to make money selling it. Um, but definitely know who your market is. Okay. And, will you mind, will you mind standing on? Oh, uh, we're going to get back to that with the three, the three of you. Do you mind staying on while we, while we talk? with Michelle and her product, and uh, then we're going to have kind of a round robin. Is that Great. okay? Yes, happy to. Okay. Michelle, you've been very yes. patient. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. She's the founder. Of, Michelle is the founder. Oh, hey, am I pronouncing it correctly? You are absolutely pronouncing it correctly. Um, uh, you're founder of Pig, Piggy Pillows. I love the. By the way, I love that title. When I saw it... Uh, uh, she joins us to discuss the challenges and triumphs of her new startup. Uh, <laughs> we always ask our guests to tell them a little bit about themselves first and how they got to where they are uh, hey, before Don, we get is, into anything. 
I just want to interrupt for two seconds and say hello to Michelle. Michelle, I recently met her when I was in New York City. So I just wanted to say hello and also tell you she has the most amazing creative product. I can't wait for her to tell the audience about it. Is is this Karen from Real Country? Yes. Hey. Hey. So I'll let you go on. We don't have an unlimited amount of time, but I'm so pleased to hear your voice. So carry on. Oh, likewise, likewise. I'm so happy you're here. I should tell tell, um, uh, our radio audience um, that – uh, all three of, the, of my guests came to us through um, a uh, program sponsored by Allison Dutch in which you get a chance to go to New York and talk to uh, media p- uh, people um, uh, in, a kind of a, in a room in the Hilton Hotel where the media comes and sees a variety of products. Um, uh, that's where I, I saw these products and our editors saw the products. And that's why they're here, and they're getting free PR right now, which is the name of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle, we interrupted you, but please begin now. Certainly. Well, um, you were correctly uh, pronouncing my name, Michelle O'Hea. I'm the founder of Piggy Pillows, fashion insoles designed for flip-flops, sandals, and shoes. And I started out... Um, Gosh, I, I just retired from American Airlines. I had a 22-year career as a flight attendant, and um, I, I loved it. I have a strong passion for travel and adventure, and when I was in my early 20s, I decided to go um, be a flight attendant, and it was amazing experience for me. I enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, but there just came a point in my life where I decided I wanted to do something different. Um, not to mention, I was um, developing this product out of a need that I found uh, myself in a, in a situation that I needed the product. And so I created it kind of from the seat of my pants, just made it in in my kitchen one day after I told my husband, you know, I, I went and got a pedicure today and I had my sandals on and I was walking around the grocery store and I started slipping from the lotion that they applied to my feet after the pedicure, <clears throat> pardon me, and I was slipping off in the side of my shoe and I said I, I felt so unstable and unchic. So I started a mission trying to find an insole that would go around my flip-flop sandal. And I found a couple of products out there um, that accommodated the the thong part of the sandal, but they were gel, and they weren't going to accomplish what I really wanted them to, which was absorbing the moisture. Not to mention they were kind of, um, the aesthetics of them weren't as pretty as I would have liked them to be. So I fashioned one out of a regular insole. I cut I taped, um, I put it in my shoe, and I really found my shoe to be more comfortable. So I told my husband, I said, this is a lot more comfortable. I'm going to wear these the next time I go to get a pedicure. And I did, and I found that three different women asked me what I had in my shoe. And I thought, well, if other women like it and I like it, then there must be a market for it, and I could probably make these a lot cuter. If they're going to be in an open shoe, maybe they can have patterns on them. They can have different colors. They don't have to look so generic. So that was basically the start of it, of my journey. I started researching manufacturers and fabric distributors, and uh, 
I had an opportunity to retire from the airline, and I took it. So now I'm full-time Piggy Pillows, and uh, I can say I've been doing it since, let's see, the original idea came to me in 2007, and I got my product in 2009, and I've been doing it ever since. Um, uh, You may know that I put your picture up uh, so that our audience, if they're listening to the program in the rotation, will see the product. Um, uh, Our editor got a pair at that show, and she wears them. So uh, I do do know, at least least from a woman's point of view, let me ask you a quick question. Do you have a men's version? Not yet. I'm I'm working on expanding my line, as um, most of the other people in any kind of industry where you're where you're manufacturing a product, it, it involves a lot tooling, packaging. I mean, the package now is geared. The package in the product is primarily geared towards women only, and I think that it would not appeal to men in the current state of packaging and the name. So I would have to think of a, a different name and I would have to definitely get different packaging for it to be appealing for the gentleman. I would definitely be uh, uh, self-conscious walking in and asking you for a piggy pillow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm um, working let, on let, it. Let's stop there for a minute. and let's. Uh, uh, Karen, your product appeals is aimed at women. Well, all three of your products are. But uh, let's talk about packaging for a, mi- a minute. And l- let me first ask Karen, what do you think are the key elements th- that you've learned from packaging and from your experience? I think I alluded to this earlier in our discussion, but getting it out there, any if you're looking at a choice between five designs, I would highly, re- no matter what it is, no matter what the product, find a dozen users, potential users of your product in your space. Try, you know, bribe them, create a, you know, make tuna casserole, put chocolate out, whatever's required. Get them into your living room and get some feedback. Because whatever you think of it, it's probably wrong. (laughs) That's what I learned. I learned that I fell in love with my own packaging and the voice inside my own head, and that was really not valuable to me. Uh, it turns out I didn't understand the implications, both psychological and practical, around packaging. And my new packaging will look very different than the old packaging looked. And it's based on feedback from buyers, from consumers, from the clerks in the stores that sell it, you know, all kinds of things. My brand is a highly scientific, well-researched brand, but my packaging, I've been told, looks like birth bees. So there's a little bit of a disconnect, and we were not going for kitschy and cute and whimsical. We were going for serious, scientific, something that really reflected the character in our brand. But originally, or at least initially, we got it wrong. So I would say ask a lot of questions. Get feedback. Diane, what about you? What about your packaging? Uh, I would agree with Karen, this, the, and I had a similar experience because we changed our package. We're in the process of changing our packaging as well, and my product is um, av- will be available on store shelves. So you have a split second to let a, a consumer see what your product is and what it does. And our initial packaging didn't do that. You really had to pick up the box and turn it around and look at it to see, oh, oh, this is what this does. So definitely keep that in mind. Definitely ask experts. Like Karen said, ask 
store clerks, depending on where you're selling it. If it's a place where, where it's being demonstrated, that's one thing. But if it's sitting in the package on the shelf, it needs to tell the consumer what it does in a split second. What about you, Michelle? I agree. I think um, that mistakes will be made and changes can be accomplished along the road. Um, it does take feedback. Uh, I agree with the ladies. It's, it's a, it's, it can be tricky and incredibly expensive, but you, you, know, you learn as you go, and you have to jump in at some point. I mean, I think Karen's packaging is, is wonderful. I see what she means now that she pointed it out, but I, I mean, I think you just have to get into the game and go, and you can do as many focus groups and research groups as you want, and everyone's going to give you a different opinion. And you, in the end, you just have to go with, you know, the majority vote and what you feel in your heart. Well, uh, let's talk about uh, financing a little bit. Karen talked about her export loan. Have each of you financed it through uh, your – well, I know Karen, but have the, you other two financed all of this through your own? And did you have a plan? and the point at which you'd say, well, it's not working when you started out? Uh, well, this is Diane. Um, all of the funding for my business has been through families and friends. I've been fortunate enough to be able to go that route and have not had to take out loans so far to do so. Um, so I, I, I've been lucky in that respect. Well, you're also good. Uh, what about you, Michelle? Um, I got a retirement package from the airline oh. that I flew for, and I used that money to invest in my product mm -hmm. in my company. Well, but up until um, then, up, in, up until then, I did use my own money as well, my own savings. It's kind of like a little bit at a time. I didn't jump in two feet full force. Um, it was kind of like a wedding where you just pay for things as you go, and it was kind of a matter of that, you know, First, let's buy some foam, and then let's buy some tooling, and then let's buy some packaging. You know, it wasn't like I had to come up with a huge amount of money on one specific date. It was it was spread out. And, and Don, this is Diane again. Um, you know, to the um, startups out there and the entrepreneurs, there are opportunities. There's crowdfunding opportunities. There's grants. Uh, not to promote any um, particular companies, but there's places like Kickstarter and things like that where you can apply to get a grant. There are angel investors out there willing to support your product or your project or your service, um, and that's a you know that's a great way to go without having to pay back a, a loan. Karen, I was just going to add that. At the moment, despite our having gotten an export loan, and, and we really appreciate that and have plans to use that, we've also applied for Chase Manhattan Bank's uh, grant process again this year. And if any of the entrepreneurs out there have not applied, if you have an existing business and you've been in business two years, you're eligible to apply. It's Mission Small Business, I believe. But if you were to Google Mission Small Business Chase Bank, then it'll come right up. 
you, all you have to do is fill out an application and get a minimum of 250 people to vote for you just to become eligible. That's Chase's way of calling out the, the non-serious applicants. Uh, but we've applied two years in a row, and I've, I've not gotten the grant, but I have hope. So it, to Diane's point, there are lots of grants out there and other programs. This one is a substantial grant. It's $250,000 for 12 businesses. And it's an annual thing, so they, they give out $3 million, literally free money every year. I have not been the beneficiary of that yet, but 12 amazing businesses got that money last year. Well, Karen, uh, we applied for it as well. This is Diane for our business. And so I will go on your, I will go on Facebook and I will vote for you. <laughs> and I wish you luck. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Likewise. Well, you, if, you're, if you're applying this year, good luck to you as well. Well, uh, that's really. Did, did any of you write a business plan uh, at any time in your startup period? Yes. Yes. Karen. Yes, this is Karen. Do? Definitely yes. And to get a business loan from the U.S. government, it was the most financially um, intensive, you know, examination type process I've ever been through. So those documents, you, if you don't have your thoughts organized and on paper, they're definitely not going to give you money. You know, their banks in general and certainly the SBA loans are highly scrutinized and they want down to the penny how you're going to spend that money and how you're going to support yourself while you're paying it back. There's a, it's sort of a financial colonoscopy, so to speak. Anybody else want to jump in? Okay. Uh, well, this is Diane. I haven't gone down that process yet, but I, I, I definitely understand that. You, you, they they want to know where you are, where you've been, and where you're going, down to the penny. Karen's right. Well, let's talk about where, where you're going. I'll start with Michelle. What do you see as the future of your business? Well, I'm still growing my line right now. Um, I currently have one size insole, 10 different colors. And my business plan, which, which changes all the time, <laughs> I always look at my vision and talk to other people, and it changes all the time. My vision is to grow my line and figure out exactly where the market's going to take me. Right now, my category is accessory, but I may want to move directly into shoe care. It's two separate categories, but I have to let the consumer, or I don't have to, but I'm going to let the consumer guide me into which direction I should go. Right now, I'm a little bit of both. I'm a little bit of shoe care because people like it for the comfort aspect, but I'm also a little bit of accessory. Women like the colors and the styles and how pretty it makes their shoes. So I'm kind of in the middle where I'm writing it out to see exactly where it's going to take me. Um, and I, I think it's okay to sit back and see exactly where it's going to go. You don't have to definitively put a label on what you are immediately. It's okay to sit back and say, well, this is my market and I'm working towards this. Um, perhaps it's something different, and you'll find out along the way. And I'm learning to get comfortable with, with um, not knowing <laughs> right now. Anybody else want to say something? 
Uh, well, this is Diane. I've been fortunate enough, as I'm sure the other ladies have in this process, to meet many amazing, wonderful, supportive people. And through this process, um, we recently joint ventured with another company called Widgeteer. And that partnership is, is just starting out, but so far it's been a phenomenal experience because we're combining our resources. And Widgeteer, while they have not um, invented, quote unquote, invented products, they have their own line of products that are um, a, you know, a wide range of products, some complementary, some very different. Um, but what we're finding is I'm, fi I'm finding myself who had no intention of becoming an inventor to begin with, but somehow got down this path, and now I'm going down even a different path, which is really exciting because this business that we're creating together is going to, we want it to be different than the other companies that are out there. We want to be the company that actually can really do it all. We, we invent. We want to license uh, products. We have, we have inventors coming to us now interested in, in, since they've not gone through the process and don't have the resources, they want to utilize our resources to do that. Um, we also want to develop products to consider for licensing. Um, we sell and represent other products. We do the sales and marketing for our brands. So we're, we, um, we just want to create an all-encompassing company that really does help the entrepreneur and the small business person who, who needs those resources. So that is definitely the direction that, that we uh, are going. Did you say widget tier? Widget here. Yes, I can. It's W I D G E T E E R. It's Widgeteer Inc. That's clever. Yeah. Well, uh, Great. I grew I grew up with uh, widgets were used on clipper ships and yes. uh, and uh, gained fame as useless products when the clipper ships went out, <laughs> but uh, that's an interesting uh, uh, that's an interesting name. Yes. Uh, what's the name of that web website? Uh, WidgeteerInc.com. Do you want uh, me to spell it out? Oh, uh, please. It helps the audience. It's W-I-D-G-E-T-E-E-R-I-N-C.com. Okay. Well, well, that's another lead. Mm -hmm. uh, we're getting close to the end of the hour. Um, I'll start with Karen because she's been on the longest, but um, what would be the two things you would um, uh, say to, to any small business, no matter whether they're a startup or even um, a maturing industry, uh, that you've learned that you, you would pass on? Yeah, thanks for that, Don. Um, I think I would pass along a piece of advice that a, a very successful friend of mine gave me. When I asked him what he would have done differently after starting his successful business, he said I would have started 10 years earlier. <laughs> so my first piece of advice would be be brave, believe in yourself, and jump in. You have to start in order to create something. You have to begin somewhere. And the other is, uh, I think Diane said this earlier very eloquently, don't be afraid to make mistakes. You have to do things in order to figure out if they're going to work. So mistakes are going to happen because you can't predict whether you know, people are going to respond to your product in a certain way or the way you expected, but you have to do something in order to learn and work through the process. So don't be afraid. 
you're going to make mistakes. You can manage them. And frankly, my successes have taught me little in life. It's really the mistakes and failures that have taught me to go in a different direction or to tweak things. So be bold. Jump in. Diane? Very well said, Karen. Um, I would say um, same thing. Don't be afraid. Um, Managing your time or the amount of time that you have is very important. So my advice would be keep one calendar for your entire life, including your business, because especially if you're like me, a busy mom, you've got a lot of stuff going on, uh, and one to-do list. Keep everything on there. And then make it a priority to do three to five things on that list daily because it's overwhelming. There is so much to do and so many directions, different directions you could be going in. So just if, if you are making progress every day, whether it's just three to five things, you'll at least feel like you'll, you'll be moving forward. You'll, every step will be a step closer to success. Excellent advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, Michelle. Um, well said, both Karen and Diane, I agree. Um, I think for me, um, along with both of those things, time management is key. You have to have a calendar, set out what you're going to do, set out what your goals are for the day, and make some time for yourself. Um, I found that when I was flying, I would I would go on a three- or a four-day trip to Europe, and I would come home and I would have three or four days off, and those were my days off. And I had time to dedicate to myself and my life. And now that I'm full-time founder, creator, business manager, marketer, uh, accounting, chauffeur, everything, I wear every hat for piggy pillows, I find that I don't make time for myself because I am constantly trying to accomplish all of my things that I feel that I need to accomplish for the day, and I I tend to have a a tinge of guilt whenever I do take time for myself because I feel like I should be dedicating time to my business. Um, it, It can be very overwhelming, but I say just, you know, you have to get past that and not get hung up on little details. You have to get into the game. I could sit and scrutinize over a design of something, a name of something, my packaging. I could scrutinize over all of it for hours on end, and I would never get anything done. And that's why you just have to sit back at some point and say, I'm going for it. This is what I'm doing, and if it's the mistake, then I'll fix it along the way. It is what it is. Jump in the game. Get going. Don't get hung up on details. And last and and not least, but... What I've learned recently is networking. Networking is so key. When I was a flight attendant, I networked with a lot of different flight attendants. So I have a lot of friends in the industry, but not a lot of friends in the business world. So when I jumped two feet into this venture, Piggy Pillows, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know how to accomplish anything. I didn't know half of the things that I needed to get things done and accomplish tasks and goals, all I knew is I wanted to create insoles that were cute that went into shoes. I didn't realize I needed an occupational license. I didn't realize I needed to register my trademark. I didn't realize I needed to do a lot of the mundane things that come along with owning a business. 
networking can really help you. When you have a network of people that have a wealth of information that they can share with you, I find it very, very helpful to sit down and talk to people like Karen and Diane and network, even though they're not necessarily in the same business or category, they can share their experiences, get on LinkedIn, start making connections, go to networking events, start making new friends. And that was very hard for me in the beginning because I had such a tight-knit circle of friends that I flew with all the time. And we traveled and we had a great time, but when I went into this, I, was, I found myself very alone. And I think that networking and getting to know the right people in taking and listening to their advice is very important. Don't be afraid. Put your, you have to put yourself out there. I just have one final thought to add to that. This is Karen. You know, if you're lonely and isolated, so is your product. And Michelle is so right. I found that any time I feel that way, I'm probably neglecting something product-related. So I, I you create a plan for a trip and take myself and my product on the road, and it always has just the right remedial effect. Perks me right up, get a lot of feedback, get re-energized, and back to work. That's great. Well, uh, Karen, tell us again your product and how people can uh, reach you. Thank you. The three-minute precision peel, it's available online at myrealchemistry.com. And they want, if they wanted to talk to you directly? Every contact from the website comes directly to me. Uh, but, and your email is info at Blue Delilah? Did I? Actually, no, it's either info at myrealchemistry.com or CEO at myrealchemistry.com. Okay. And uh, Diane? Uh, um, your website and the website, you? The website is the spifter, T-H-E-S-P-I-F-T-E-R.com, and you can reach me there directly at info at thespifter.com or at my name, which is D-I-A-N-E dot D-A-N-D-R-E-A at the number four and the word stir, S. TIR.com. And finally, Michelle? Um, certainly. Um, Piggy Pillows, P I G G Y P I L L O W S, www.piggypillows.com is where you can find more information regarding my product, which is fashion insoles designed for flip flop sandals and shoes. And you can contact me. Um, Via the website, there's a contact form. It goes directly to my email address, or you can email directly at michelle at piggypillows.com. And that's oh, Michelle with you. two L's. Thank you, uh, uh, ladies, for a very, what I think, illuminating hour. Uh, I hope our audience uh, found it as interesting as I did. Really, thank you. Thank you, Don. Very Thanks nice meeting you, ladies. Don. Thank you, Diane and Karen. Great talking to you again. Likewise. Same here, ladies.